This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from, all compatible with iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player of choice. For listeners of the show, Audible is offering a free 30-day trial membership, complete with credit for a free audiobook of your choice. You can cancel any time and keep the free book, or keep going with one of Audible's subscription offers. Go to audibletrial.com japan to claim your offer. This week I'm going to recommend A Game of Thrones by George R. R. Martin. If you haven't yet read this sensationally popular book, well, what are you waiting for? But wait, I hear you saying, isn't it fantasy and not history? Well, yes, but many of the episodes in the book are inspired by historical events, and despite being a fantasy book, it's far more realistic than a lot of the historical fiction I've read. I've never seen so many people in one book almost die from an infection. Besides, Tyrion Lannister is quite possibly the best character in the history of fiction. Go to audibletrial.com japan to claim your copy. Hello and welcome to the History of Japan podcast, episode 99, The Tiger and the Dragon. Before we get started, just a quick announcement. Next week is technically the 100th episode of the show, but I've had the good fortune to line up something very special. We're going to be having our very first interview episode next week, assuming nothing technical goes wrong, of course. What that means is I'm going to bump back the Q&A show by one week, so I can do the interview next week. So next week we get an exciting first on the show, and you have two weeks to submit as many exciting questions to me as you want about Japanese history, what I do in my spare time, how the podcast works, or who my favorite Seattle Seahawk is, hint, Marshawn Lynch, and I'll answer them on the show. With that out of the way, let's get started. This week, we're going to cover one of the most famous rivalries in Japanese history, between two men whose names are legend in Japan. The elder of the two was born in 1521 in the region known as Kai, modern Yamanashi prefecture to the west of Tokyo. Mount Fuji is actually located along the border between Yamanashi and Shizuoka to its south. The father of this boy was a hard-charging warlord named Takeda Nobutora, who had built the Takeda clan into a powerful one by penchant of his talent for warfare. Nobutora's son was actually born in one of the family castles. While his mother was in labor, the clan's lands were invaded, and Nobutora received word of his son's birth right before the battle where he drove the invaders away. Thus, Nobutora gave the son the childhood name of Katsuchio, a name that could be translated something like Eternal Victory. Young Katsuchio would eventually go through two more name changes, first to Harunobu, the name he used as an adult, and then to the one he's best known by and the one we're going to use for him, Shingen. Takeda Shingen would rise rapidly in prominence within his clan. Supposedly, and I should emphasize this is a story that's likely somewhere between embellished heavily and made up, when he first led troops at the age of 15, he won a stunning victory, he and his father besieged the fortress of an enemy lord, the siege was a stalemate, and the attacking Takeda were forced to withdraw. However, as they withdrew, Takeda Shingen doubled back with his forces, 
and struck the defenders while they were celebrating their victory. Caught unawares, they were totally destroyed. Again, to emphasize the point, this story is subject to dispute. Shingen's early life is heavily romanticized, and there aren't a lot of great sources for it. Whatever the reality of things, though, Shingen was apparently talented enough that before long his father's retainers decided that they preferred the idea of serving Shingen over serving him. Now, what happened next is a bit murky, but the different stories are consistent in their general outline. Shingen's father, for whatever reason, made it clear that he preferred his younger son Nobushige inherit the title of lord rather than Shingen. Well, you might think that was pretty bad judgment on the father's part, considering that his son turned out to be talented enough as a warlord to be covered in a podcast 350 years later. But apparently Nobushige was actually a pretty badass guy, too. He was a samurai of substantial repute within the clan and a skilled war leader. Still, Nobushige was apparently not popular enough, because a coup took place in 1541, forcing him into exile and making Shingen the new daimyo of Kai. Shingen then went to work expanding his territory, striking into the neighboring region of Shinano and conquering it over the course of the 1540s. The campaign was a bitter one, and it saw more than a few serious setbacks. In one battle, several of Shingen's senior retainers were killed, and he himself was badly injured. However, in the end, Shingen's own talent, as well as that of his subordinates, including his brother Nobushige, who eventually came back but was disinherited, won him the day. By 1551, he'd completed the conquest of Shinano. We're going to stop with his life and move up north, to our second topic for the day. A young boy, born in 1531 in Echigo province, now part of Nigat Prefecture, future home to everybody's favorite sleazy politician, Tanaka Kakue. Like Shingen, at birth he did not have the name he would become famous by. Unlike Shingen, he didn't even have the family name that would make him famous. He was born under the name Nagao Kagetora, the fourth son of a warlord named Nagao Tamekage. His father, Tamekage, was a brilliant general as well, and had won some very impressive victories over the course of his life. However, in 1536, Tamekage ran smack into the fight with everybody's favorite group of well-armed Buddhists, the Ikkoiki. Specifically, a Buddhist Ikki league on the borders of Echigo began making trouble within the domain. Tamekage assembled his army and marched off thinking he was going to put an end to the issue forever. Instead, he was killed and his army scattered and his domain was now leaderless. The family vassals were split on how to handle the inheritance. A small war of succession broke out between young Kagetora's oldest brother, Harukage, and his second oldest, Kageyasu. Eventually, Harukage won out and Kageyasu was killed. To protect him from this conflict, young Kagetora was secreted away in a monastery by some of his father's former vassals, where he would spend the next seven years hiding and studying and learning how to be a good leader. Finally, at the age of 17, young Kagetora was approached by vassals dissatisfied with the job his older brother was doing as a lord. They offered to back the young boy if he would lead a revolt against his brother. Now, according to the accounts I've seen, Kagetora was initially hesitant about the idea of declaring war on his own brother. However, that hesitancy didn't last long, and frankly, I'm not sure if it even happened. It's the kind of thing you really have to say, sort of like how politicians in the U.S. 
We'll wait a long time and then finally release a weird YouTube video announcing that they're running for president when, come on, Hillary, everybody's known for years that you were going to do it. The point is, it looks bad to jump on the, sure, let's depose and kill my brother bandwagon too quickly. The imagery is just all wrong. However, said bandwagon was eventually jumped on, and in 1547, Harukage, the older brother, was overthrown. What happened to him is unclear. In some versions I've seen, he's ordered to commit suicide. In others, he's simply sent off into exile. My inclination is to believe more the former than the latter, going off that old maxim of Augustus Caesar, that two Caesars is one Caesar too many. That being said, I do not know which is correct. After taking control of Echigo province, young Nagao Kagetora began working to cement his control of it. However, two events would occur which would push him towards greater prominence, as well as conflict with his neighbor to the south. First, a pair of defeated lords from Shinano came to Echigo to seek asylum. Who had they been defeated by? Well, the very man who was in the middle of invading Shinano, Takeda Shingen. They arrived in Echigo with tales of woe about this ferocious daimyo of Kai who had displaced them from their ancestral lands. Shinano being on the southern border of Echigo, this was obviously of some concern. Second, in 1551, a lord from the south named Uesugi Norimasa arrived in the territory. In the confusing world of Sengoku-era politics, the Nagao clan was technically subordinate to the Uesugi, but in practice they'd been marching to their own tune for some time. Even more so now, because the Uesugi had just gotten their butts handed back to them by another clan. The Hojo, actually, who would eventually become infamous as the last clan in Japan to hold out against Toyotomi Hideyoshi, and whose homelands would eventually be handed over to an up-and-coming daimyo named Tokugawa Ieyasu. Now, Uesugi Norimasa asked his nominal subordinate to help him out, and Nago Kagetora agreed to do so, with conditions. Specifically, Kagetora was to be adopted into the clan and become the new heir to the Uesugi title. Thus did Nagao Kagetora become Uesugi Kagetora, though he's better known by the name Uesugi Kenshin. Uesugi Kenshin promptly marched south and beat the ever-loving stuffing out of his new adopted clan's enemies, getting as far south as Kamakura. As the Takeda expanded north and the Uesugi expanded south, it was only natural that their two leaders should come into conflict. Before we get into that conflict, though, we should stop and note something. We've already talked about the different names that Uesugi Kenshin and Takeda Shingen were born under, but it's important to note that Shingen and Kenshin were not the names they would have known each other by. Both are actually Buddhist names. Shingen means something like the mystery of faith, Kenshin means humble faithfulness, since both men took vows as Buddhist monks. For Kenshin, possibly this was a matter of devout faith, for Shingen it almost certainly was not, Shingen showed little desire for or appreciation of the humble life of a monk, and likely took monastic vows solely for the same reason that, say, a feudal lord in Europe would cynically donate money to the church. It looked good. He was well known for being a womanizer and something of a dilettante, so not really a deeply religious man. Kenshin is a bit unclear. He seems to have genuinely preferred a simpler life, but his Buddhist faith was heavily focused on the character of Bishamonten, or Vaisarvana in Sanskrit. 
He was part of the complex cosmology of East Asian Buddhism, one of the four heavenly kings who protect the cardinal directions of the world and fight evil. Bishamonten, if you're wondering, is the king of the north, even though to my knowledge he was not murdered even once at a wedding. Bishamonten is sometimes called the Buddhist god of war, and it's true that in Japan in particular, though not so much in other places in East Asia, he has a more warlike cast. Kenshin was so devoted to this figure that the crest he used on his flags, uniforms, so on, was the B in Bishamonten. Anyway, I'll be using the names Kenshin and Shingen because those are the best known ones, but it's unlikely that people at the time would have known them by these names. The two men would clash repeatedly along their shared border, fighting over the area of Kawanakajima near the modern city of Shinano. The two sides would clash five times at Kawanakajima in 1533, 1555, 1557, 1561, and 1564. The first three battles were inconclusive. One side would probe the other, maybe seize a small advantage, and then be forced into retreat by a counterattack. In each case, neither side could land a decisive victory. The fourth battle is the one best known to history. I'll spare you the fine details of maneuvering and who did what. The Cliff Notes version is that Shingen attempted to bait Kenshin into a pincer trap, but instead Kenshin was able to ambush one wing of the pincer, defeat it, and drive straight at Kenshin. In the process of defeating one of these pincers, Shingen's brother and several of his senior commanders were killed. Shingen was forced to fight for his life. According to one, again, almost certainly embellished story, Kenshin himself cut through the lines and drove straight for Shingen, who was forced to fend Kenshin off with the iron fan he used to signal troop movements until his bodyguards could arrive to save him. The Takeda lines then rallied and drove the Uesugi back, breaking their lines and inflicting heavy casualties. It's a cool story, a dramatic story, and the single combat between Kenshin and Shingen has become one of the more enduring images of the Sengoku period, but in the end the result was the same as the first three go-rounds, a draw. Now, it is worth noting that the best source we have for the battle, the Koyo Gunkan, is a history written by a Takeda vassal. It has some accuracy issues in other areas. Here, too, in this battle, it has some weird bits. For example, the Takeda general leading the doomed pincher supposedly realized he was defeated and charged the enemy lines, receiving 80 bullet wounds before retreating to commit seppuku. This, to say the least, stretches credibility. In addition, the Koyo Gunkan describes Uesugi losses in the thousands, but no senior enemy retainers killed. We also know that Kenshin was back on campaign on the other side of his territory within a month of the battle, which doesn't really fit the whole bloody hard-fought stalemate image. I also have some personal doubts about the tactic that supposedly let Kenshin win. What he was supposed to have done was rotate his front line like the spokes of a water wheel to ensure the troops fighting in front were always fresh. This kind of troop rotation is not unheard of. Roman legionaries could do it, for example. However, if they're not trained to do it very carefully, rotating maneuvers like that can expose the flanks of troops to an enemy, making them very dangerous. So all in all, it's hard to totally trust the best account we have of the battle, but either way the outcome is much the same. Either the battle was a stalemate, or it was a bloody but minor Oesugi victory. The two men would skirmish once again, and again without a clear victor, at the fifth and final battle of Kawanakajima, 
1564. They would also meet at other shared points along their border, always with the result of total stalemate. Honestly, if they didn't both have a very stellar military track record otherwise, looking at their record fighting each other, you'd think both men were utterly incompetent. Now, one of the commonly repeated legends about the relationship between Ueski Kenshin and Takeda Shingen is that despite this decade-long series of clashes, the two men actually had something of a friendship. Maybe a frenemyship, if we want to use a Stephen Colbertism. They exchanged gifts and spoke highly of each other to their subordinates. I've looked, and I haven't found any scholarly sources that repeats that story of the friendship. It's quite possible that it's one of the many elements of their lives that was mythologized later. During the Edo period, the lives of both men were heavily mythologized for poems, tales, entertainment, that sort of thing. Much like the stories of ninja, sometimes these stories were repeated so often that the barrier between actual fact and embellishment began to break down. My personal favorite example is a mid-Edo period drama reminiscent of Romeo and Juliet, where Takeda Shingen's heir marries Uesugi Kenshin's daughter, resulting in much consternation before a reconciliation, fortunately rather than a bunch of teen suicides, is reached. This incident is obviously fictitious, and it's pretty easy to spot that, but others are less easy to notice. As a result, it can be hard to separate the legend from the reality. The whole friendship thing doesn't really pass the credibility test, though. We're talking about two men who ousted relatives from power to obtain it themselves, Neither one seems like the overly sentimental type. I'm not saying gift-giving never took place. In fact, gift-giving was an important part of political negotiations at the time, so likely it did. However, to say that it was done out of personal respect, out of calculation, is to my mind a bit of a stretch, though again, I am not an expert on the Sengoku period. Even if they didn't like each other, though, they certainly did respect each other. Famously, Uesugi Kenshin declared three days of mourning after the death of Takeda Shingen, but I wouldn't really call that friendship. Now, Shingen and Kenshin would never have a chance to resolve their little rivalry, primarily because of the rise of a third ambitious daimyo, one whose career we've talked about several times now, Oda Nobunaga. By 1568, Oda Nobunaga had taken control of Kyoto and was now looking to his eastern border, where his lands bordered on those of the Takeda. Takeda Shingen was a natural threat, so Oda Nobunaga reached out to his natural ally in this case, Uesugi Kenshin. Kenshin, who if he was Shingen's friend clearly was not that good of a friend, accepted gifts from Oda Nobunaga, including a lovely screen depicting life in Kyoto, and the two sides began talking about an alliance. However, said alliance proved to be ultimately unnecessary, though it wouldn't seem so at first. Oda Nobunaga first came to blows with the Takeda in 1572, and early on it seemed that Shingen could not be stopped. The Takeda blew through the army assembled by Oda Nobunaga's subordinate, Tokugawa Ieyasu, at the Battle of Mikatagahara in 1572. If you're curious, that was not so much a victory of strategic genius as much as it was Shingen successfully baiting Ieyasu, who stupidly came out to attack even though Shingen outnumbered him something like two to one. However, Shingen was eventually forced to withdraw. He had counted on allies on the other side of Nobunaga's domains, joining him on the offensive, and when they refused to do so, he decided that risking a fair fight was not something he was interested in. Discretion being the better part of valor, he withdrew to Kai. 
In 1573, Takeda Shingen was back invading Tokugawa territory again, but during a siege he took ill and died. Tokugawa records mention a sniper killing him with a lucky shot, but the Takeda ones do not, and do talk about him being ill prior to the siege, so likely it was disease. Kenshin, meanwhile, began to turn his eyes to Nobunaga a few years later. Originally, he had considered an alliance with the Oda against Takeda Shingen, but after Shingen's death, he became uninterested in helping Nobunaga, and eventually started to consider war against the rising daimyo. Eventually, the two began to war over a buffer state between their territories, with Nobunaga's men once again getting the worst of it. At a battle in Tedorigawa in modern Ishikawa province, the Uesugi forces decisively defeated the Oda and forced them to retreat. However, the following year, when Uesugi Kenshin was assembling an army to take the offensive, he took ill, famously having some sort of seizure while using a lavatory, and died a few days later. In both of these cases, the rather convenient timing gave rise to rumors of assassination. The most famous version of those stories being that an Oda clan ninja hid in the latrine pit in the Uesugi camp, and stabbed Kenshin in the butt with a spear while he was using it. But once again, Kenshin was already ill, and likely it was a pre-existing illness that did him in. Still, the timings of both deaths are very convenient, and you have to admit the assassination story is a lot more fun. In both cases, the death of their brilliant general would spell doom for the two domains. Two years after Takeda Shingen died, his clan's army was destroyed when his less competent son, Katsuyori, took the field against Oda Nobunaga and charged his whole army directly into fortified Oda lines. Similarly, after Kenshin's death, a succession crisis between his two adopted sons divided the clan, while the Oda further solidified their advantage. So what can we make of these two men and the stories that surround them? First of all, it's important not to get swept up in the hype that surrounds their lives. They're often portrayed as these wonderfully honorable warriors in contrast to the ferocious brutality of Oda Nobunaga, but in practice I wouldn't say the ethical gap between them is that big. After all, remember that both men came to power through coups. One of the more common legends surrounding the two is that Uesugi Kenshin once saved Takeda Shingen while the latter's territory was under economic blockade by his rivals. He was being denied salt, which was necessary to preserve food, so Kenshin began selling salt to the Takeda, and, according to legend, said that, quote, wars are to be fought with swords and spears, not rice and salt, before naturally challenging the Takeda to meet him in honorable combat. It's a great story. Too bad it's probably not true. The best that can really be said of them is that they maybe didn't execute their more troublesome relatives, as opposed to Oda Nobunaga, who absolutely did. Of course, all of this also leaves aside all of the substantial ethical issues involved in their constant warring against each other with no visible effect. They're wasting a lot of lives every time. Indisputably, both men were talented generals, though their raw military genius should not be overstated. Takeda Shingen's reputation as the Tiger of Kai, and Uesugi Kenshin's reputation as the Dragon of Echigo, both invincible generals whose match could only be found in the other, has some basis in fact, but was then inflated by entertaining tales of legend during the Edo period. The stories are entertaining, but they are just that. Stories. That's all for this week. For more on this week's episode or any other episode, or to submit ideas for future episodes, 
check out the podcast webpage at www.historyofjapan.wordpress.com or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash historyofjapan. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week for a very special episode, our first ever interview episode, about Buddhist pilgrimages in the island of Shikoku.